Welcome back to the Building a Fighter podcast. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. With me as always, I got the badass strength coach, Alex Friedman out of Denver, Colorado. I am a sports chiropractor, strength coach, and wrestling coach based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, sorry on my end about the audio quality. I am on the road for my fighters this weekend, um, so it sounds a little bit different. But this week, we're going to be talking about the five best exercises that any MMA athlete can throw into their training. So it's going to be an extremely general episode. As we all know, the best thing we can do is get assessed and figure out what's best for each other. But if you don't have your own strength coach and you're running your own training, these are the five best exercises that we see that if you throw in tomorrow, we're going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, I want to, we want to go over these exercises again, like Austin said, in an extremely general capacity, they're weight room exercises. They're not, um, on the mat, you know, in the cage type of type of drills that you can be doing. And we should probably have a different episode where we go over some of those specific special skills where we can talk about drills that we always employ. But again, today, more weight room emphasized type of things. Um, but yeah, and then we can just jump straight in. We got our, our short list here and I'll let Austin kind of expand on the first one because it is his, um, his living, breathing child. Literally, he we said, what's the five best exercises? And the first thing Austin says, breathing. And I said, like, is breathing, <laughs> is breathing an exercise? Is it? And Austin agrees that vehemently he says breathing is an exercise. So let's, uh, let's listen to him trying to explain his way out of this one. Breathing is the exercise, Alex. It is the exercise that you have to do in order to fucking live. Right? Yeah, but is that an activity of daily living or is that an exercise? Like exercise in my book is different than activity of daily living. What's, what, if, if we're doing proper breathing, what are we training? We're training the diaphragm. Is the diaphragm not a muscle? It is. If we're walking, we're training the leg muscles and the upper body yeah. is, is it, it, walking correct. an exercise? Uh, yeah, according to basically every health professional ever. That's right. the first thing people tell you. Go get your steps in, bro. That's why Fitbit became a thing, even though I've absolutely hate them i despise the ten thousand <laughs> steps a day thing um <laughs> me too it's so fucking dumb my uh, my new watch that i got started tracking them and i'm all over the place man like three days out of the week i'm at like 1500 ste- or fifteen thousand steps and then another day i'm at like four thousand and I'm, I'm just sporadic in my lifestyle i guess so according to anybody that counts steps i need to fix that but i'm over it yeah but anyways coming back to breathing So breathing, why everybody's, if you've listened to any of my episodes, basically three fourths of the episodes we've had, I've talked about breathing at some point, why I think it's one of the biggest things we can throw in. And one of the top five exercises to throw in is because it's going to be one of the best warmups that we can do. If we can start focusing on our respiration, focusing on our stability patterns, that's going to prep us for one of the most beneficial workouts we can, because then we're not going to over recruit our low back erectors. We're not going to over recruit basically the out- outermost muscles. So the rectus and the low back erectors, as opposed to using that transverse abdominus and expanding through the trunk. So dropping the diaphragm, eccentrically loading the transverse abdominus and pressurizing the trunk, which is how we should stabilize when we're doing anything athletic. So I picked not just breathing, but one position that I think is extremely important for our MMA population is going to be from first position, which is basically just child's pose with a couple extra steps and focusing on breathing into the posterior. So breathing into the back. Why I picked this, MMA athletes in general have a predisposition to what's called the extension compression stability strategy or the ECSS. 
This is something Dr. Richard Ohm coined. He's a DNS instructor. And it's the over-recruitment of the low back erectors to help stabilize your spine during athletic movement. So think about those people that it almost, it literally almost looks like two just big old back straps. And then there's like a gutter in between. There's, there's no symmetry whatsoever through their, through their low back or all the way up into the mid back. That's going to be the extension compression stability strategy or the cue that every beginning strength coach has ever said to anybody squatting chest up, butt out. (laughs) And as you do that, guess what you do? You lock your low back in place. You're, it's it's better than flexing forward. I'll give them that. But you lock your low back in place and you no longer are using pressurization to stabilize your trunk. At that point, guess what? Now you're using your erectors to stabilize. And that's but, the outermost muscle. And you get really strong in your erectors, which prolongs itself into way bigger problems down the line, you know, as you start moving and overusing and compensating through those strong muscles, the, the types that you've you know, built up um, over time, you know, and it, it, this happens all the time. I have countless high schoolers come in and, you know, when they're lifting, I look at their, you know, low back, their spinal erectors, and it looks like there's, you know, two loaves of bread right there in the middle of their back. Like they have very developed and strong erectors, but that, because that's what they're using to stabilize and to actually prime move everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a problem because your glutes are made to do that. And your glutes are a lot potential, have the potential to be a lot stronger if you train them that way or the different system, depending if we're not squatting or whatever. Well, and that's a good point. Talking about a co-activation model that if you, so if, if you're using your erectors to stabilize, you can't use your glutes to the maximal potential. It's the next part in the chain. It, that's not how that works. So we need to be able to decrease the erector tone, which if we have an increased erector tone, guess what? That's one of the biggest reasons why there is nonspecific low back pain in an athletic population outside of disc herniations. Um, but it's the number two, as well as when we go from there, going into talking about stabilization, if we aren't able to use our breath and use that posterior expansion, then we can't activate the glute max, the glute med in the ways that we should to help increase our power output. But getting back to the exercise, because I've explained breathing a bunch, this is going to be face down in that child's pose position. The only thing that I want to change about child's pose is that from here, I want you to make a double chin and then I want you to push the ground away with your elbows. So we're in that same forward folded position, a little bit of curve in the lumbar spine, in that low back, pushing the ground away with the elbows and making a double chin. Now from here, the only thing I want you to do is to force your breath into that low back and try to expand upwards towards the sky. This is important because this helps train that posterior expansion as well as it decompresses the lumbar spine actively when we do this. It causes an uprighting mechanism. Why I want to do this here and why, why I want to fo- focus on this type of exercise, again, it's, it's from that already stretched position. So we're putting those lumbar erectors on a little bit of a stretch so they can't overcompensate. And then we can force that breath and cause that stability factor into the posterior. No, and I've had a lot of success just implementing that in my own training and um, fixing a lot of low back issues that I've had previously, but I think that's a, a good strategy. And every time I do it, I just think about expanding right into kind of the, the back love handle of, uh, of your body. And that's been a good cue for me. And I actually go around and I kind of poke my athletes right there. It's like fill up right here with your, <laughs> uh, with your breath. Dude, that's what I do. I love tactile cueing for breathing. Whether it's me poking them, I have them wear their jujitsu belts, 
Um, I have them put like uh, some t- for the more advanced athletes. I've had them put, you know, those like react balls, mm-hmm. the one, the little like pegged ones. Yeah. I, I throw two of those on each side. So it's a little bit harder than an actual ball, but it can stay there. Yeah. And then I have them breathe and push the balls to the sky. Yeah. Um, but I, I, another reason just before we move on is I love that position because it causes us, it, it passively stacks the diaphragms on top of each other. So if we're already in a predisposed position to stack diaphragms, then we can decrease the actual complexity of breathing and increase the overall outcome of what we're trying to do, which is increase that posterior expansion. Yeah. And I mean, talking about like feedback mechanisms or tactile cueing, um, that's kind of the the origin of like the dead bug, right? Or the origin of, of laying with your back on the ground is to feel the feedback of, of your breath or of your core activation or however you see that. But that's one of the things I cue as well when we're breathing or we're laying in a supine position, trying to expand your lower back into the ground or, or something like that as well. Before we move on for breathing, I kind of just side note and general random question um, because I see this going around a lot and I have my own opinions on it. But what do you think about like pure nasal breathing during exercise so i've read the research nasal breathing does have decent research behind it increases your actual oxygen saturation um increases it it does show a statistically significant increase in cardiorespiratory um health but at the same time there's a time and a place the more that we can nasal breathe the better but when we get into those maximal condition states or if we're in a fight, it's not like we're nasal breathing in a fight, right? Um, and I, I don't really see a need to mix our strength work with nasal breathing. I've seen that going around a lot recently. And I, I, I personally don't understand it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just haven't read the research on that yet. Um, I do see it when I do have my athletes, I put water in their mouth when they ride the bike and we do our conditioning work. But mixing our actual like absolute strength work where we're going for three reps, or going for one rep or whatever we so choose and we're lifting heavy weight that doesn't make sense to me that yeah. that seems like it can cause problems yeah i haven't seen that with like with heavy strength work or with uh resistance training i've seen it in the weight room a good deal when we're doing you know aerobic based circuits or or something like that and um i agree with you i think there's parasympathetic tone that can can be gained there's a lot that goes on through nasal breathing that has more of a, uh, I don't know, calming effect or something like that. But yeah, I don't, I wouldn't employ it with high intensity exercise or with, um, you know, actual sparring or, or heavy lifting stuff like that. But the the thing that gets me on it too, I think is, you know, people think they're badass throwing duct tape over their mouth and doing this thing. And it's like, you know, if you're actually disciplined, then you don't need the duct tape, right? You can just consciously well, nasal breathe. Dude, nasal breathing is the new training mask. Yeah, like really, that's basically what's going on right now. It's, it's just, it seems like it's just oxygen restriction. Even though this has good research to show that it, it can help a little bit, yeah. but like it's, it's, it's mostly for show. Yeah, that's my other beef. Is like I'm gonna make this harder by nasal breathing. It's like you understand that nasal breathing is not a means to add intensity. That, that, that should not, that should not be the the motivator. It's like, this is hard. I'm hard. I nasal breathe. It's like, no, nasal breathing is, is, is a tool to enhance what you're already doing, which should be employed at a low intensity anyway. So what's, what's the goal, Alex? What is the goal? Well, a little tangent there. Sorry. Um, but we'll get back to our top five exercises. So we got our first positional breathing, which is like a modified child's pose. Um, that Austin went into some detail explaining. And then 
the rests on here are, are fairly common in my arsenal of um, just general strength training. And I think they have a little bit of specificity geared towards MMA just because uh, some of the positions and the patterns are the same. But number two on here, I have a landmine single arm press, um, which there are a lot of variations that we can do with the landmine. But that's our total body, but predominantly upper body uh, movement on the list. And I like it specifically because it works the shoulder girls. You have to have stability in order to accomplish the the single arm action, which creates a little bit of an anti-rotation, but it's also almost a pseudo overhead press where we can extend through and not have to go through a lot of the dysfunctional patterns that come along with overhead pressing and with our striking athletes that are already tense enough through the shoulder and compensate enough um, through the traps and neck. So I like that as a little bit of a modification of an overhead uh, press, but also, you know, it's like, I think Austin probably is going to touch on this ipsilateral pattern um, as far as working anti-rotation, but also pressing up. What do you have on it, Austin? Well, I was going to touch on it. It's like you read my <laughs> mind. It's like you're my best friend. Um, but first thing I want to touch on is I love landmines in general, just because it's going to be less deg- degrees of freedom than our dumbbells, but more degrees of freedom than our barbells. So it's like right in the middle where we can control the movement, but we also get a little bit of movement variability in that aspect and allow us to kind of find what I call like that J hook when we're doing overhead shoulder pressing and stuff like that where we're staying a little bit more in scaption and a little bit less in impingement zone. Yeah. Um, it is going to be that ipsilateral pattern, which we know I, I'm not going to go into the details on ipsilateral <laughs> patterns. I, I've, I think I had a 20 minute rant on this in one of our other podcasts. I, well, I'll make Alex link it cause he does the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he just got don't, so mad when I said that. Yeah. Everybody don't forget Austin's the boss and he tells me what to do. That's, that's been his MO since, <laughs> since we met in college. So. Um, but it is an ipsilateral pattern. So it's going to train that same side, same side stability, which we know is going to be very prevalent in our striking. Any punch we throw, think about a cross right hand goes through, guess what? Our left hand and our left leg and our left shoulder are going to be the stabilizers. If we're throwing a kick, guess what? If our right leg goes up, guess what? Our left leg has to stay down or else we're doing some jumping shit and that's not going to work. So we have to stabilize with that entire left side. That's what our landmine press is going to be. It's going to be that same sided trunk stability pattern, which is going to help us pattern not just the movement, but the overall global impact, which is training not just single areas, but patterning in general, which is so important with our movement integration into sport. Yeah. And there's a ton of variety that you can incorporate with this. You know, you can do a square stance, stagger stance, half kneeling position. Um, You could add a lunge to it, which I'm currently doing uh, with some of my athletes, but, you know, pushing through the feet with the total power explosion through the hand in a, you know, a long range of motion is irreplaceable. I think in exercises, you know, that's where, that's where the snatch and, and throwing and, um, Sorry, the snatch is associated with um, track and field throwing, but that's where that kind of idea comes from is the the longest range of motion that you can develop power through. And I think that Mm -hmm. the landmine press, especially if you're starting in a half kneeling position, allows for that with an MMA athlete with a more um, unilateral type of base. But what was Austin was saying with the degrees of freedom, I think you're exactly right. A lot of landmine movements fall within that kind of Goldilocks phenomenon where there's enough uh, range of motion and enough stability that you're not 
you're not fighting to either stay balanced and you're not fighting um, just for a weight in an overhead press, which is something I've heard as a critique of the landmine is that as you press overhead, the weight actually decreases, right? Because you're getting more of the uh, mass to rest on the ground versus in your hand. But I think also that that might be a hidden gem or a benefit in disguise because we're not putting as much load in a strict overhead position like we would with a barbell. Well, and that so. also, that, that helps us train the eccentric too. That just means that on the eccentric phase of the movement, guess what? We're yeah. getting more load added to it, which yeah. in some cases is more important. 100%. Um, but yeah, and, and with that too, like we always go back to what is the goal, right? Is, is the goal to press overhead the absolute most weight that I possibly can? Most likely not with a MMA athlete, you know, we will build up strength, but it's not an abstract type of goal as far as pressing overhead. So that's, that's interesting to me to, um, factor in and why we like the landmine so much. Um, number three, the next exercise, uh, should be again no surprise we talk about it all the time trap bar deadlift um as a great way to improve absolute strength you know if we are going for absolute strength and in, in more of a safe manner i would say than a barbell or, or a different type of um, movement and i want austin to expand why would i pick a trap bar over a barbell deadlift i think we've talked about this before but why do you love the trap bars trap bar is going to be well the first thing is there's actual recent recent research that came out last year is talking about how the trap bar is going to actually increase the transfer into sport. So it's going to increase our vertical jump more than a regular barbell deadlift. It's going to increase our horizontal transition. So think about like our sprinting mechanisms or think about like a broad jump. It's going to do that more than a barbell deadlift. It's basically superior in almost every athletic quality, except for maximal glute activation than a regular deadlift. So that's why I pick a trap bar over a barbell. And I already had it like, again, I have rants on here. I already had a 20 minute rant talking to Alex about how barbell deadlifts are stupid unless you're a power lifter or, dead, or a Olympic lifter. So I'm not going to do that again. But talking about the trap bar deadlift, I like it for a few reasons. I'm only going to give you two because I want Alex to touch on it as well. One is that we don't have to focus so much on a maximal hinge. Why I want, why I like that is then we can keep the spine in a little bit better positioning so it's going to decrease the actual erector activation. It's going to increase the glute activation because we don't have to worry about trying to get into that. I, I'm making movements with my hand. You guys can't even see the diagrams. I'm, I do yeah, you're, yeah, you're pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> but so think, think about the back angle. The back angle is going to dictate how much of the legs versus how much of the back we're going to be using, right? The goal of a barbell deadlift is to use the glutes. That's going to be a maximal hint. But if we can't get there, if we don't have the hip mobility to get to the end range of the movement to get to the bar, then there's no. Then we're just going to be chewing up our low back instead. Most athletes don't have the hip mobility that can get there. That's why I love the trap bar deadlift. The trap bar deadlift allows us to get a, bit, get a little bit more vertical, which means we don't have to hinge as much, which keeps our spine in a little bit better positioning and allows us to still get the deadlift effect without having to actually focus on or without having to compromise the spine in any way, shape or form. So while we are getting, I mean, we're using the posterior chain, which means we are going to get lumbar erector rec recruitment. We're going to get that low back recruitment but I want it to be as minimal as possible and focus on the leg muscles as much as possible. The second reason why I love the trap bar deadlift is going to be the shoulder positioning, actually. I really like the neutral grip of the trap bar deadlift as opposed to the 
pronated or supinated grip of a barbell deadlift purely because it's going to be better for our shoulder positioning and better for us to get that lat lock, which assists us with tightening up the posterior chain and assists us with being able to activate that posterior oblique sling to get out of the hole of the deadlift. So it increases muscle activation in general and allows us to recruit what we need to recruit, lock those lats in place and keep the shoulders healthy while we use those glutes and use our legs to get out of the hole. Yeah. Um, awesome positional um, analysis. And I think that's, that was going to be one of my reasons is I think you can achieve a lot more athletic position getting into a trap bar versus in a traditional or conventional uh, barbell deadlift. And I think, again, for all the reasons in the anatomy that Austin just went over, the trap bar gives you a lot more athletic grounding into your movement, a lot more activation, I think, or for me as a strength coach, one of the other reasons I love the trap bar is it's a modality that I can use up and down the um, force velocity curve. Um, So if I'm programming trap bar deadlifts, I can program for max force, right? So I can load it up and do like a three RM or have the heavy sets of threes. Um, And then, you know, within the same programmer, as I progress into a more of a velocity based focus or um, depending on what phase and things like this, I can go all the way to a trap bar vertical jump where we have, you know, 20% load on there and, and we're for working on a lot more power and speed emphasis. So it's, um, it is, we're not looking for badass. Yeah. Badass is badass for that reason. No, <laughs> Vers- it's, it's versatile. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to say it's, it has a lot of utility, I guess is what the versatile. There it is. Versatile. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. It's uh, use it up and down the force velocity spectrum. And I think that can be said about the landmine um, single arm press that we just talked about as well. Uh, I can use it in a jerk type of fashion where I'm using a low load and I'm pressing and punching actually through the barbell, or I can load it up really heavy and put myself in a little more stable position in order to, you know, press for a little bit more strength in that capacity. So the trap bar deadlift again is a cornerstone in a lot of the programs that I write and it is versatile as we put our athlete in a lot better athletic position than a uh, trap bar deadlift, barring some other reasons why I would use a barbell. But moving on, uh, we have to have a unilateral um, lower body emphasis, I believe. I think that's huge in all of my pro- programs. And so we talked about a rear foot elevated split squat, um, holding a kettlebell, holding dumbbells. Um, not a big fan of barbell on the back, but you can use that. Um but a single leg strength exercises focus on stability and again, gives us immense benefits training on one leg, which is how we perform sport. Yeah. And I honestly, I use roof foot elevated split squats, probably honestly, probably more than the average person. Almost every single, every, almost every single program I write has some sort of rear foot elevated split squat in it because it's not just a benefit of the leg. It's also going to be a benefit of the low back, which I've been talking about a whole bunch because we can focus on that trunk positioning as we drop down. And it's, it's one of those things that with that low or with that rear leg elevated, we can focus on actually trying to keep our pelvic tilted or pelvis tilted where we need it to be. As we go through a movement, making that proper canister that I always talk about. So while it is going to be that one, that unilateral load on that one leg, which is so important for trying to balance asymmetries, trying to increase overall athleticism, 
and we can add in a rotation over the top if we want to even bring in the transverse plane. So we have whatever weight we have and rotate over the top leg. We can also focus on making that functional capacity of the low back increase and focus on the functional capacity of our trunk as we go through a loaded movement involving the lower quadrant. Yeah, I, again, love it because in addition to those things, and this is, again, similar to the single arm land mind press, we have to isometrically hold a challenging position, right? That forces your body to find a, a equilibrium, a balance, and then and then on top of that, execute a strength movement or with a transverse plane rotation. It, it forces your body to be, you know, fully engaged. Whereas we can slack off a little bit on that in, in some other modalities. Um, but one thing I do love and that I usually employ when I do rear foot elevated is I have my athletes take their shoes off and uh, perform this barefoot. I, that I think could go in a similar category as the, you know, the breathing example we had for our first exercise. I think barefoot exercise is huge in MMA because you compete barefoot. Um, that's another huge transition. But the stronger and the more engaged your foot is into the ground, the better feedback you're going to get up the whole kinetic chain throughout your body. You know, there's a lot of research that connects big toe pressure into glute activation. And, um, while that's not, I don't, well, I don't think that's end all be all, I think engaging the foot and creating a healthier environment in relation to the ground with your foot can increase a lot of strength numbers can increase a lot of, you know, plyometric ability when we're bouncing, when we're generating force from a barefoot. And it also is going to, you know, save you from a lot of injuries because the foot is a, another very commonly injured uh, area within MMA. So that single leg stability and barefoot emphasis is another huge factor when I think about rear foot elevated. But bro, are you doing it on a BOSU ball too? <laughs> why would doing it on a BOSU ball be a bad thing? Why, why shouldn't I have 17 of those in my gym? <laughs> Without going on more tangents, uh, Lay please up. don't do Here these. Here you go. Lay up. Yeah, please don't do these on Bosu balls. Uh, Bosu balls. Eric Cressy actually did recent research on this, which I I appreciated a lot. Um, talking about the the Bosu ball and how, unless it's in a rehab setting or for I think it was upper bo- upper body isometric loading, the Bosu ball was equal, if not lesser, than just doing it on the floor in general. So why are you buying a Bosu ball? and doing it and increasing the actual probability that <laughs> something might go wrong. <laughs> well, right. Uh, and I got, I kind of got a, a, a point to pick on with this is because your athletes more likely than not cannot do it well barefoot without a BOSU ball, Correct. right? Adding the BOSU ball just adds too many layers of complexity and too much, you know, whatever, too much emphasis on stability when they may as well just work on doing a barefoot, you know, can your athlete balance for 30 seconds on one foot before you have them do a single leg RDL? Right? Can your so. athlete lift their arch when they're doing any sort of lower body activation? If they can't do that, they shouldn't be on a BOSU ball. <laughs> right. So I think there's more bang for your buck and you use a lot less resources when you just train barefoot, just train barefoot, teach your athlete about the foot. And then hopefully that becomes just a checklist item whenever they're doing anything. Um, there's, I have a whole kind of list of things and breathing, uh, foot engagement, body organization, various things like that are on this list that, you know, I try and get my athletes to do every time before they begin an exercise. You know, there, I have a whole deadlift checklist. I have a, uh, med ball checklist. I have different things that the athlete needs to ensure this is engaged and I'm ready to execute this properly before I even go, before I even think about picking the bar up off the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So don't use both your ball. That's dumb. One more pet peeve and we'll bring it back to the rear foot elevated split squat. Find a good foot position and hold on to the kettlebell or the weighted implement, whatever you're doing. Find that position before you put your back foot on the bench. Don't put your back foot on the bench <laughs> and then try and hop into a various position. That's the dumbest thing. Spot. I see that all the time. Something's going to go wrong. I just, <laughs> I know it. I feel it inside my soul with high school athletes that I watch try and do this somewhat coordinated um, no, find a good position, memorize that foot position, then put your back foot up. That's uh, a common discussion I have with my athletes. Bring it back to rear foot though. Uh, the RFESS, one of the things that I really like about the exercise is that we can, like Alex said, there's so many different positions we can load through the shoulder as well. We can do same side load. We can do opposite side load. We can do front rack. We can do zercher. We can do all of these different things that change where the load is at and not just change where the load is at, but change the patterning that is required to do the exercise, the stability pattern. So if I'm going to do same side with the load, guess what? If I have to stabilize on the same side, guess what we have? Ipsilateral pattern. Yay. What we already talked about, or we can throw it to the other side and go a contralateral pattern, or we can do rotation over the top and add in the transverse plane into all of this. So it's such a versatile exercise because there's all these different offshoots that we can do to increase the overall, I guess, implementation of the exercise into the workouts that you do. Yeah. And I mean, that's a kind of a debate that we had also before the podcast is whether we just pick modalities or we just pick like using a landmine or we just pick a, a single leg thing. But I feel like we've already gone over that category, but all of these exercises that we're picking, there's so many variations that you can employ for different specific reasons. Again, I'm not totally a fan of variation simply for variation's sake, unless you're working with a very uh, advanced elite athlete. But I think within the exercise that we pick, take them and run with them, right? It's not like this is the concreted path and we have outlaid these exercises have to do exactly like we're saying. Um, Make them your own. And I think that's part of the fun for me as far as programming is finding that creative edge that uh, both mimics motor patterns, but also adds a level of challenge and complexity to the workout. And I mean, obviously appropriately, but um, make it fun. I, I like being creative yeah. with a lot of the exercise programming and variations that we have. Well, I love it because there's no, it's, it's not school. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no wrong answers. There's, right. there's a wrong time and a place for, for doing certain things, but there's no wrong answers. There's no bad workout, yeah. right? Except for sit-ups. Sit-ups fucking suck. Don't do those. But but there's really, uh, that's, it's so creative. Like I, I joke around and I've joked on the podcast before, but like working out is like, to me, that's like my art. Cause I can't, I still can't color in the line. Like programming for me and working out for me is like my art form because I get to be creative. It's the same thing with wrestling. Like there's no wrong answers in wrestling. Who's to tell Jordan Burroughs that he should scramble more and who's to tell Ben Askren he can shoot a blast double. Right. It's the same thing with what we're doing here. Yeah, uh, it, it helps when you kind of open up yourself from those strict, you know, programming periodized, you know, confines, right? You know, because if when I was starting out strength and conditioning and I was starting to learn all these things, you know, it was how closely can I follow this periodization scheme and, and everything <laughs> has to be undulating and watch and track the intensities, volume loads on everything. And right. And I think, Again, that's that's a base level foundation that you need to have. You need to understand those um, principles in order to vary and modify and add in a little bit of, you know, uh, I don't want to say art, but I want to say anecdotal skill. Is that a, is that more academic? Does that sound? 
Um, but no, I want to add that in because it it's a hundred percent viable when you're growing as a professional or when I am the strength coach that I am, I'm valuable because of that experience and because of that ability to modify on the fly, not because I've read 17 books on periodization, right? Like I think people get too lot, too caught up in the weeds of evidence-based and, and science where we can just be having fun, you know, a movement pattern is a movement pattern. Athletes are going to get better at what they do and stronger in the areas that you challenge them. So why not open that up rather than all the strict regimented do this exercise this way, period. All right, let's, let's stop rambling. People don't want to hear us talk. They just want they just want to hear the smart stuff. They don't want to hear us. I would, I would debate that. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> there's a lot more value in us just talking and, opening up versus listing. Bro, I agree. I agree. It's what I enjoy doing. But what's well, number five? <laughs> most of the podcasts that I listen to personally, I'm going back at you because it's bullshit. Most of the podcasts that I listen to, I'm 100% more interested in the experiences and anecdotes and stories than the X's and O's of this program and that program. Not me too, dude. That's why Joe Rogan got popular. Because yeah, he has people sure. that talk about their stories. And they just talk, yeah. And I mean, I agree. If we're trying to make a science-based, value-driven podcast, we talk about those things. But I think we also, that's like the debate we had the very first time for the very first you know, episodes. Like, how scripted and how regimented are we? I feel like we should skew away from that more. Loosely, loosely scripted. So you still want to move on to number five? Yeah, what's number five? All right. Number five is a med ball slam to shovel pass. And I've, I think I've put these up on Instagram before, but I love them because you transfer force. You get to utilize your power in two to three planes of motion, depending on how you vary it, like we've been talking about. But transferring force from slamming down on the ground as hard as you can and then shovel passing and using the hips to transfer force from the ground through the ball into the wall. Um, the med ball is a hugely specific and uh, useful skill for a lot of MMA athletes to use because it is a little bit more athletic movement, a little less rigidly documented in its uh, execution. But I think it's a great medium as far as transferring force, but also eliciting some power and utilizing a different um, plane of motion that that says that we always create. Well, and the med ball in general, it's such a good implement. And I don't want to make this just about the med ball, but it's such a good implement because what other modality or what other type of activity do you get to actually let go of the weight? Right. <laughs> like when we're trying to develop power, it means, a, it means a lot more when we actually can get total power. And that, that a lot of the times comes from turning it from, I guess what would be considered almost completely closed chain to making it a little bit more of an open chain, like tossing the weight, throwing it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's like, it's self-regulatory, right? If I'm yeah. doing a bench press, I can't actually push as hard as I can, unless I want to toss the bar in the air and try and catch it, which is never a good idea. Yeah. Don't well, do that. <laughs> should say never. Yeah. Most of the time a bad idea. Yeah. But yeah. So when we can throw the med ball, that allows us to be like, oh shit, I ain't going to break the wall. Let's go. And yep. I can actually get maximal recruitment. Um, the other thing is, I, is like Alex talked about, I, I just love how the med ball slam to shovel pass is it, it covers a lot of the planes of movement and it gets us creating power in a lot of the planes of movement. A lot of these exercises that are multi-planar, most of the time it's just stability in one plane, power in the other, stuff like that, where like a landmine row to press, talking about something we'd similarly have. If we're doing a row, that's not going to be generating a whole bunch of power. That's getting the row is to prime up the sling 
to then create power in the transverse plane with my prep most of the time. When I'm doing a landmine or when I'm doing a med ball slam, bitch, I'm gonna slam the sh- I'm gonna slam shit out of the ball. Like I'm gonna slam it as hard as I can because that doesn't make the harder I slam, the less I have I know that less I have to bend down to get the ball to go right into my shovel pad. I'm lazy. That's that's the root of the problem. That's the root of the the issue. There is Austin just likes to find the shortcuts and do everything he can. But I mean, that's an effective way to make progress, right? Yeah. When I do a slam, I'm going to slam it as hard as I can because then I don't have to lift it back up. It's work smarter, not harder, always for Team Austin. So when we're when we're doing a land, and I know other people that think like me because I've literally had a fighter say to me when I had him do it, he's like, "So if I slam it harder, do I? Do you want me to catch it?" I'm like, yeah, I want you to catch it. Like slam it as hard as you can. He's like, well, you don't want me to lift it up. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I want you to slam it. And then I want you to shovel pass it. That is why strength coaches like myself (laughs) invest in sandbags and sandballs so that Austin can't sandbag. (laughs) I I hate those sandballs so much. (laughs) I hate them so much. I have them and I, and I use them and I make other people do them. I think they're awesome. I don't do them. Yeah, of course you don't. <laughs> but um, getting back to what I was saying, like I just I, I really appreciate that it is multiplanar power in one exercise as opposed to stability and then into power. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Throughout our whole list is bang for your buck, um, and that may as well could be the, the you know the same uh, title for this episode. Instead, five best. It's like five biggest bang for your buck exercises uh, for MMA or for. Um, this specific population is how many different boxes can you check, check them effectively with one exercise, right? You know, with the trap bar deadlift, we can check a lot of different boxes with the landmine single arm press. Uh, a lot of different boxes are checked um, up and down a force velocity curve throughout the planes of motion, uh, isometric strength, concentric strength, eccentric strength. You know, you have all these factors in a lot of exercises in general, but these are some of the exercises we can utilize all of it to the best extent uh, in combination with MMA. Yeah. Yeah. I might do all of these in one workout when I, uh, when I get back to work on Monday. Yeah. Oh yeah. Alex has been uh, recovering from the vid. I've been quarantined due to COVID. Um, not too bad, but working my way through it. Our whole house was shut down for two weeks. And um, this is some of the more personal things that Austin decided we shouldn't share on the podcast. So I don't know why you brought it up. I didn't say we shouldn't share them. <laughs> I just wanted to get to number five. Really quick. <laughs> I was already planning what I was going to say. And we started going on tangents. And I'm like, I'm going to lose everything I had. <laughs> oh, to my argument. Those, concussion, re- those concussions, bro. If it's important, you'll remember it and say it again, right? Eh, not always. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so these these are the five best bang for your buck exercises for MMA athletes. Um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm sorry if my quality. I, I don't know how it sounds. I'm on my new. I'm on my like Beats AirPod thingies, so I don't know how they sound as far as the microphone goes. You got um, crappy audio quality, and I got all the nasal congestion and things that you get from stuck in your being stuck in your house for two weeks. So <laughs> we're equal, but. Hopefully it's manageable. I think this was a dope ass episode. Um, if you guys need to get in contact with me or Alex, that'll be in the show notes, both our Instagram handles for a DM or our emails. Um, please. If you go on Apple podcasts, like subscribe, do all the cool stuff. Um, give us a rating because the more you rate, the more you share, the more people we get to talk to. And I just like talking to people. It's my you favorite like, part about you the podcast. Like hearing yourself talk. I like talking at people. Let's yes. be real here. You're like Not talking at people. talking at people, um, cutting corners, 
and being disorganized. That's uh, that's my three facts about Austin to describe. It's true, true. Well, <laughs> we'll see if we can work with all those. <laughs> yeah, no, no more promotion that I could uh, I could give for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as always, thanks for listening. This is building a fighter. I'm Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Freeman. We out. Thank you.